Hello and welcome into this week's episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman, and today I'm going to be taking you through a bit of a behind the scenes look at some content that I've created recently, specifically two different articles that I wrote for Golf Digest that I will link in the description, both entitled Top 10 Golfers or 10 Golfers That Will Make You Money in 2022. One of them was written before the start of the 2022 season, so that was in the fall, and then I updated it with 10 additional golfers as we turned into the new year of 2022, and I thought it would be worth spending some time to kind of give you a look into the thought process of how I determined these golfers over other golfers and what type of things that you can be looking for as you're trying to do your own research, as you're trying to do your own analysis for guys who are maybe about to take the next step. And really, what does it mean to make you money? Because there's a lot of different ways to go about that. So I just wanted to kind of do a deeper dive on something that was kind of a list-based, more general topic and go behind the scenes and show you what was in my brain when I was writing it. So I hope you enjoy So here are the two articles on Golf Digest. Again, one is dated September 15th, 2021. The other dated January 3rd, 2022. And I I can link these in in the description so you can read through all of these yourself. But when I started doing this and when this idea was kind of pitched to me and we went back and forth and, and agreed on what it would look like, golfers who will make you money, that's a very general topic because I think most people would naturally say, Who's going to win? Who's going to win outrights? That's that's making me money. Who's going to win outrights? Well, we can look at it from that angle, and I certainly did take that approach for some of these golfers, but I also have to think, who's going to finish inside the top 10? Who's going to finish inside the top 20? Who's going to be winning matchups more often than maybe odds makers think they should? Who's going to be valuable in fantasy circles? Uh, If you're playing something like jock market, a stock market DFS, you don't even really care if they win or what their finishing position is as long as you're getting more value in their share price from what you paid for it. So there's a lot of different ways to approach this. I kind of want to go in through the different ways and then the types of golfers that you kind of be looking for in each one of those scenarios, give you some examples and just see where this goes. This is the unknown leg of 300 yards to unknown. I'm just going to dive into this. We'll start with outrights and we'll see where we end up. Wins on the PGA Tour are an incredibly fickle thing. Just ask Tony Finau, right? You can put yourself in position, in contention over and over and over again. And there is a lot of luck when it comes down to it of who's actually going to win the golf tournament. Is someone going to run away um, and, and, and get hot on Sunday and steal this from you? Is someone going to chip in late and, again, steal it from you? Are you going to get unlucky and your ball is going to kick out of bounds or into a hazard or up against the lip of a bunker? There's just a lot of things that can happen that can stop a golfer from winning. But the real way to identify golfers who have what we would de- define as win equity is to look at their ceiling, okay, their ceiling. Because on the PGA Tour, All of these guys are so good. You need to hit your ceiling maybe multiple times a week, two rounds a week, to win a golf tournament. So I want to show you something. I tweeted this out near closer to the new year here. And it's just a a very basic graphic. And what I did is I pulled the numbers from rickrungood.com, my website, and I just said how many times? What's the rate? What's the percentage of time that every single golfer in the world has gained five or more strokes in a single round? And I chose five because that is 
it's a big number. That's a ceiling number. Off, very often, guys can gain three strokes in a round. Four gets, gets to be a lot harder. Five is a really elite high-end number. And if you're constantly tapping into that ceiling, you have a chance to win. So the top five guys in this rate, and this is across their rounds uh, across the globe, Jordan Spieth, John Rahm, Colin Morikawa, Roy McIlroy, and Sam Burns. Those five golfers combined for nine wins in 2021. Morikawa had three, includes the European Tour. McIlroy had two. Burns had two. Rahm had, I'm giving him credit for one. Could have very easily have been many more than that. Two, three, four even. And Jordan Spieth only had one. But that is nine wins from five golfers, and they are the five guys who gained the most or, or, or gained five strokes to the field most frequently. That's not a coincidence. That's how you win golf tournaments. So this is something that I always keep an eye on. And I can give you kind of a tip. I, I, I use, of course, use my own website. I use rickrungood.com. And as I just sort through the rounds, I kind of just start making notes of guys, right? Because you can click any golfer individually and see all of their rounds. And you can see, okay, wow, yeah, Jordan Spieth, during this stretch where he played really well, he's constantly gaining, you know, this one, eight strokes per round on the field, five and a half, 4.4, just, just mental notes of golfers. And it's okay if sometimes they're giving back two or three strokes uh, per round. That happens because, quite honestly, some of the more volatile guys uh, or some of the more higher ceiling guys are also more volatile and they, and they show the, the floor a bit too. But, you know, we were able to quickly identify Sam Burns as a ceiling golfer early in 2021. We saw it at Torrey Pines. He had one bad round. Uh, he probably should have had a couple of other wins, right? He, he probably should have won at Riviera, multiple shot lead heading into the back nine on Sunday. He left a couple of wins out there because he's a ceiling golfer. So being able to identify ceiling golfers, the way that I do it is five strokes gained per round, that rate. That tells you who a ceiling golfer is. That's going to help you find outrights. And if you can keep track of those guys, you know, last 40 rounds, what percentage of everybody has, has gained five or more? N- now you're talking. N- now you're getting into guys that are trending in the right direction. It allowed us to identify Sam Burns correctly uh, as, as probably someone who's going to win somewhat frequently on the PGA Tour. It's just a really good building bo- block for getting winners. Another way that I would look for kind of breakout winners, guys like Sam Burns, I think in 2022, a guy might be like Daniel Berger, guys like that is to use weighted strokes gained. So I've talked about this a lot already in the new year. This is a brand new calculation that I have on my website as well. It takes the strokes gained metrics and it uses strength of field amongst other factors to create a weighted strokes gained. And the reason that I do that is because it is much more valuable to gain two strokes on the field at the U.S. Open and gain than it is to gain two strokes on the field at the Bermuda Championship. It just is. They're completely different fields. They're completely different situations. So using the weighted strokes gained is really exciting. So when I, when I show you this, this is the power rankings, just one of the easier ways to show this to you uh, for the weighted strokes gain numbers. And I can, I can view those right here and I'll go to the last, you know, 50 rounds or so 100 rounds. And you can start to see some names that pop up that you might not expect here. The, the usual suspects are here. Don't get me wrong. John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, uh, Louis Eustace and Bryson DeChambeau, et cetera, et cetera. But then you see at eight and nine, Daniel Berger and Cameron Smith, who have actually gained more weighted strokes in the last 50 rounds 
than Colin Morikawa has. And now you're like, wow, okay, what, what's, what's happening here? So you start to do a little bit more research and we'll pull up Daniel Berger. And what you're going to find is essentially a very elite player. I, I don't think I'm reaching by saying that. And there's a couple of things that I like to look at. The approach play. That is very sticky. We talk about this all the time, right? If you're one of the best iron players on the planet, you're going to give yourself an incredible opportunity. Just ask Colin Morikawa, just ask Justin Thomas. Uh, That's going to give you a really good baseline, and it's not as volatile as the putting stroke, or you're not relying on your short game or anything like that. So you can see he has gained strokes on approach in every event that he's played since his win at Pebble Beach. That was at time of recording this basically a year ago. That's phenomenal. Then you start looking at what he does when these when these top-tier fields get together. T5 at the WGC FedEx St. Jude. 8th place finish at the Open Championship. 7th at the U.S. Open. ninth at the Players' Championship. That's why his weighted strokes gain metrics are so high. Because when the best players get together... He's on the first page of the leaderboard. Now, what do we expect? Do we expect Daniel Berger to take the leap and start winning major championships? Maybe, maybe not. Wins are hard. Majors are even harder to win. There's so many great players. But Daniel Berger looking like a staple for a lot of top 10 wagers, a lot of top 20 wagers, a lot of matchup wagers, even when you get into difficult fields and he is likely to be an underdog to a lot of his peers, Daniel Berger outperforming the vast majority of them. And while I have his stuff up and I'm, and I'm showing you, I'll go back to the raw data. I'll go back to the last 100 rounds. Uh, let's do in this field. It's Tournament of Champions field. It's an absolutely stacked field. So I'll miss a couple of guys here. But in the Tournament of Champions field, the three best ball strikers in the last 100 rounds are Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, and Daniel Berger. That is elite company to keep. He doesn't have a flaw in his game. I just I think we're in for a really big year for Berger, and it's not just him, right? We can look for other guys that kind of fit this this criteria as well. Abraham Answer, his last 100 rounds, he's been better on approach than Sam Burns and Taylor Gooch and Jordan Spieth, guys that get much much more credit for being better approach players. Like we, this is just a ba- I'm giving you an example of, of, of one golfer showing you what I'm looking for, but this can apply to probably a handful of guys. There's also a lot of natural progression in some of these golfers, right? Guys that are just getting better over time, guys that are improving their skill sets. And one that we probably should talk about more often is Max Homa. And if you look at his metrics, they're very impressive. He has basically improved every single year in the last four years. So in 2019, he was a tour average player. He gained 0.07 strokes per round. That is about as tour average as you get. 2020, he got better, gained about a third of a stroke per round. 2021, even better, 0.44. 2022, very similar, 0.43. So we've got this kind of natural progression. Is Max Homa tapped out? Or could he get himself up into that half a stroke per round? Or maybe even three quarters of a stroke per round tier? If he starts getting there, we're talking about really, really elite golfers, top top 20 golfers, if he starts getting into those categories. So that's kind of the natural 
the natural progression. So you could make kind of a, a case for Max Homa continuing to get better. And even if he doesn't, where he's at right now, as we've seen, capable of winning golf tournaments, capable of finishing inside the top 10 as long as he putts well. Um, that's another thing with Max Homa. And I've, I, I've tweeted this out at some point as well. I love these guys that are just one skill set away. So Max Homa just every single week provides himself a beautiful baseline. And the weeks that he putts well, that's where his top 10s and his wins come from. In fact, every single week, every single tournament that he gained at least four strokes putting in 2021, he finished inside the top 10. It happened five times. He's the only golfer uh, in the entire year on the entire globe who had at least three times in which he gained four strokes putting in a tournament and finished inside the top 10 in all of them. So he does not waste his putting weeks. That is a very valuable skill set. I can show you someone who does waste the weeks when things come together. And my example that I generally use for that is Kyle Stanley. And Kyle Stanley, you know, notorious, great ball striker, horrible putter, but when he puts well, he doesn't even get the most out of it. So you can go back and look, you know, he has gained strokes putting twice in the last seven months. One of them, he missed the cut. The other one, he finished 39th. That is not, that's just not making the most out of it. So finding these golfers who are only one part of their game away, especially when the one part of the game is putting, you know, it it would be rare for someone who struggles with the driver to wake up and gain three and a half strokes on the field over four rounds. That's probably not going to happen, but there are guys that take advantage of it. Max Homa does. Kyle Stanley doesn't. Having one skill set uh, or being one skill set away and having, having it be putting is very, very valuable. You could also go through, quite frankly, you could go through the power rankings here. And I, I would probably just sort these guys by strokes gained total for whatever amount of rounds that you want and find the poor putters, right? Why do you think Justin Thomas wins so frequently? He's a tour average putter when he puts well in a week. And even if he doesn't, he wins. Um, you know, Colin Morikawa, another guy loses strokes putting. What do those two guys have in common? They win a lot, right? Tony Finau, Hideki Matsuyama, other poor putters or even average putters, because if that's the one thing that has to click, you're in good shape. Now in a similar vein, there are also guys who have taken a huge leap in a specific category. And you wonder if it's sustainable answer, answer, answer to that, not Abraham answer is Jason Kokrak. Jason Kokrak turned into a magnificent putter, seemingly overnight. And I hear a lot of conversation about how unsustainable that is. I'm not so sure. This might just be the new version of Jason Kokrak. Look at his 20, I mean, he from 2020 back to 2015, he basically lost strokes putting every single year. Then he took a huge leap in 2021, three quarters of a stroke per round with the flat stick. And then in 2022, only 10 rounds under his belt at this point in recording over a stroke per round gained with the putter. This is the real deal. So what we've got now is a situation where in the last 100 rounds, Jason Kokrak second to only Ian Poulter as the best putter on the planet in the last 100 rounds. That is very valuable because now we've unlocked a golfer who already had prowess off the tee, who already was pretty good on his approaches. He's not very good around the greens, but when you putt like he does, he makes up for it. And what do you think it's doing? Well, it's turning into wins. 
right? He wins the Houston Open. He wins the Charles Schwab. He wins the CJ Cup. That's three wins in like 30 starts. An unbelievable rate. And I don't think he's done. This is a blueprint that I think is, is, is Jason Kokrak solving the math problem, right? The math problem in golf is I have to get the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible, but there's different facets of my game that I'm going to use to get that ball in the hole. And if I can be really, really good at one of those facets and not lose the rest of my game, I've just solved the math problem. And Jason Kokrak has solved the math problem as long as he continues to putt like that. So I would recommend if you start to see kind of outliers like this, 40 or 50 rounds even is going to start to give you a pretty decent baseline for, for perspective, hundred rounds, 80 to 100, 80 to 120 is about a year's worth of rounds. So if you call 50 rounds, maybe six months worth of rounds, depending on how much those guys are playing, that's enough to kind of give us an idea. But Jason Kokrak seemingly continued to be undervalued because he took a big leap and most people didn't really expect it. So that's the type of thing that I would be looking for as you're parsing through all the, all the data and all of these players. The other way most people are going to make money in 2022 is via fantasy golf. And I think the biggest mistake that people make is that they don't realize they're playing a fantasy point game, which I know doesn't make sense because that's literally the scoring. But most people will just apply the same characteristics and traits to golfers that they think will do well this week. That's it. I think these golfers are going to do well. I'm going to bet them. I'm going to put them in my lineups. When really, both situations should be assessed very differently. Obviously, with wagering, you care about the finishing position. And while finishing position certainly comes into play in DFS, that's not the main driver of results. Fantasy points are. So I've been trying to motivate people to look into fantasy point scoring for years. I used to have a tool that was called MVG, most valuable golfer. That was the difference between your place on the leaderboard and your place in the fantasy points. So you could finish T12 in the tournament, but be the sixth highest scoring draft Kings player. For example, I've kind of graduated away from that a little bit and I've gone into basically fantasy points gained or DraftKings points gained, whatever you want to call it. And it's done in the same way that strokes gained is whatever the average number of fantasy points scored in a week is. If you've scored more than that, you've gained strokes or gained points. And if you've scored less than that, you've lost points. And over the length, uh, over time, you see the same guys kind of pop up. So there's a couple of different ways to look at this just for visual purposes. I'll take you to probably the cheat sheet first. And on the cheat sheet, there is a column for, for, for DK gained. So that's fantasy points gained. And you'll notice guys like Brooks Kepka, who is in the mid eight thousands for the century tournament of champions only gains on average six fantasy points to the field, much smaller than the rest of his peers who are closer in the 17 or 18 category. But I want to scroll you down a little bit because someone like Cam Davis gains on average 15 fantasy points to the field. That is more than Harris English. It's more than Billy Horschel. Quite honestly, it's more than Jordan Spieth. It's closer to Patrick Cantlay. And the reason for that is very simple. Fantasy points are skewed 
towards birdie makers, towards eagle makers. You are earning way more points if your guy shoots even par by making nine birdies and nine pars than you are if he makes 18 pars, or excuse me, nine birdies and nine bogeys. I apologize. Then if he does, if he makes 18 pars, it's skewed towards birdie makers. So guys like Cam Davis, who are volatile hole by hole, might make a birdie, then give it back with a bogey. Might make an eagle, then might make two bogeys in a row. Might get hot, make three birdies in a row, get his bonus streak. That's all very, very valuable in fantasy, and the actual leaderboard doesn't really care about it. Just cares about your score. So to, there's kind of a couple of ways to do this, and I have the, the data on the Holy Grail as well for golfers that you could be looking for. I've got the I've got the you know the DK points gained here, and you can go for any time frame that you want. Let's just do you know 2021. So I've got DK points gained here, but you can also see some other things. Birdie streak. Victor Hovland makes a birdie streak about once a tournament. That's nearly twice as often as Cam Smith does it. It's nearly, it's more than John Rahm does it. It's more than Jordan Spieth does it. Those birdie streaks, those bonus points for that, they add up. Also notice that he makes, he he has a bogey-free round basically twice as often as Bryson DeChambeau does. He's very valuable in fantasy scoring is Victor Hovland. So you can kind of go through and you can see these metrics here and how that ends up shaking out. Or you could look at, you know, one player in particular and you can see that, you know, Victor Hovland, despite not always having great results, does gain a lot of points. Victor Hovland finished 44th at the Shriners, gained 30 fantasy points on the field. Finished 43rd at the Northern Trust, gained 25 and a half fantasy points on the field. It's kind of hard to do. Very valuable. So what I would encourage you to do here in the new year is really focus your attention on the format that you're playing. And I know it's silly. I know it is so dumb for me to say that, but it's true. And I think, I, I think if you'd be honest with yourself and you're thinking through it right now, you'd be like, yeah, that's probably, that's probably pretty true. How often am I checking fantasy points gains? How often am I checking the rate of bogey-free rounds or birdie streaks? This stuff adds up. It adds up over time. If you find guys that are you know, much more frequently getting birdie streaks. That's a real thing. Some guys just get hot, stay in the moment. Some guys can't hold their breath, can't go low, can't get hot. So there is certainly something to it. And and I'm going to try to reassess and turn everyone's attention to kind of the fantasy points aspect when we're making fantasy lineups for this year. I'm hoping that this was of value. I'm hoping that you gained a couple of nuggets for things that you might be looking for in terms of players, for the new year and which ones might end up breaking out, ones that might get back into the winner circle. Again, I will link both articles that I wrote for Golf Digest in the description. So you can check those out and you can read about 20 specific golfers that for various reasons, some statistical, most of them statistical, let's be honest, most statistical, why I think they're going to make you money in 2022. And again, through the lens of whatever contest you're playing, whatever format you're playing. I hope you'd enjoyed this. If you did, uh, please comment below. Make sure you've liked this video and you've subscribed to the channel so that you can get more of this. And if you have any suggestions or topics or anything you'd like me to cover in the future, don't hesitate to, to leave that in the comments or you can always tweet me at Rick Run Good. Best of luck and I'll talk to you guys soon.